I watched this morning a, um, an incredible post from the Prime Minister, which was quite amazing the way he was able to uh, speak the way he spoke with so much attack on him. And on a day that at the moment is so controversial and should it be on the 26th, should we celebrate it here, all those bits and pieces. And the Prime Minister came, comes out and he spoke tremendously about what Australia Day is and why we celebrate it and how we celebrate it. And in a place when this nation is hurting, a lot of uh, uh, things from the fires are, are hurting and yet... We also saw the camaraderie of a people like we've never seen before. And he speaks in this thing while he's speaking about the fact that even children were able to give up pocket money to send to, to those who needed help. You know, that the nation is banded together. And I think there's something really beautiful about that. But today we celebrate an incredible nation that we all get to call home. And I think it's exciting what God's doing, but we also have to remember that that there's something for us to do. We watched a, Jess and I watched a documentary during the week about the church in Iran and it was incredibly eye-opening and challenging. It's called uh, A Sheep Among Wolves and there's two parts to it. It's brutal. Don't watch it with your kids or maybe watch it with your kids. I don't know. You watch it first and then decide. <laughs> but it's brutal. Um, and Jess and I were talking, and the guy who's in the documentary, he's quite forward about the fact that Iran, we all need to be go and become missionaries in Iran, and that that everyone should go there to help because there's such a big task there. And that, and while I agree with that, it made me so challenged for Australia because I thought, Flip, while when we don't have the problems quite the same, we have our own range of problems. We have our own pictures of things that we have to deal with, our own struggles that although they're not out the front and you can, you can be beheaded, but there is, this, there is this sense of brokenness in the West. And while I understand how serious it is there, it's also serious here. And as Christians, we need to remember that, that we are on mission right now here. Yes, we didn't move a long way away. And yes, you can walk down the street, down surface paradise with the Bible and you won't get attacked. However, it's still as big a challenge. This, this nation is incredible, and on Australia Day of all days, it's exciting for us, but we have a lot of work to do, and I'm so pumped about it. That's all I'm going to say about Australia Day. If you have a Bible, go to, with me to Acts 2. If you were here last week, I spoke about Acts, I was in Acts 2 last week, and I'm going to be in Acts 2 next week and potentially Acts 2 the week after that, because there's so much here. I want to stay in Acts for the next little while and just unpack some of what's happening. But I spoke last week about the fact that it wasn't anything special that, that the disciples did when, when the Spirit came at Pentecost, when, when God moved in that place. It was the timing of God and it was the position of their hearts. They came with their eyes affixed on Jesus in a time that God had ordained and put together, and they came and just worshipped him and gave him everything that they had. And God moved in that place. They didn't do anything special. It wasn't a special song they sung or a prayer they said. They were just obedient and had hearts of worship. And I finished that with the fact that, that there were some who had mocked them and said that they were drunk. And I want to pick up from there because there's, there's so much interesting thing that, 
things that Luke writes about, about Peter's sermon. And Peter's sermon is incredibly challenging and, and it's exciting. So I'm going to read from uh, 2, 14 to 21. And it says this. Peter stood up with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, my fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. You need to clearly understand what's happening here. These people are not drunk like you think they are, for it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. This is the fulfillment of what was prophesied through the prophet Joel. For God says, and he's quoting Joel 2 verse 28, This is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everybody and cause your sons and daughters to prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will experience dreams from God. The Holy Spirit will come upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will reveal startling signs and wonders in the sky above and mighty miracles on the earth below. Blood and fire and pillars of clouds will appear, for the sun will be turned dark and the moon blood red before that great and awesome appearance of the day of the Lord. But everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. I love how Peter starts this. Instantly he refutes those who are mocking. And I said last week that sometimes... There will be those who get on board and there will be those who will turn against what God's doing. He will mock those. And the interesting thing here is that, that Peter starts his sermon by saying, it's, it's early in the morning. How can they be drunk? Although I don't think that would have worked in Australia because the pubs open pretty early. What he's saying is they're not drinking. They're not drunk. This is something you've seen before. But the interesting thing that he starts with, the thing that's so challenging and would have been challenging to the Jews is that he says, my fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. And then later on he says, all of you, everyone will experience the things of God. Instantly, Peter stands up and he says, no longer is it Jews only. Right in this verse, he marries both Jew and Gentile. That, that it's interesting that, that this takes place in the upper room or we know of it to be an upper room, that it wasn't in the temple because the Gentiles weren't allowed into the temple. That wasn't a custom that was taking place, that God moved outside of the temple. He moved in a place that married both Jew and Gentile and allowed them both into the fullness of what God had prophesied. But then he goes back to, to, to one of the prophets of old and he says, remember, you Jews, what you've been told before, that Jesus will come and he will move and when he, when he sends his spirit, it will look like this. I will do it in the last days. He's expressing to the people that as of Jesus dying and raising again, we have entered the last days. We are still in that time now. We are still in that place that when Jesus died and rose again, we came into the last days, into the time where it says, I will do what I've promised you I'm going to do. I will be who I promised you I was going to be. That all the prophecy that's come, now you start to come in to that prophecy. And it's interesting that he lists it because he says in there that everyone, everyone, will be able to experience this. I'll do in the last days. I'll pour out my spirit on everybody. Right there, the prophet Joel is already saying it will not be Jews only. They would have thought about it as being, well, us Jews, the chosen people. Yet when Peter reiterates what's happening, he says, all of you. And the interesting thing, as I said last, last Sunday, was that every nation under heaven was there at Pentecost. And then he says, all of you will take of what I've given. He's bringing us all into a place, but he's highlighting the fact that post-Jesus is the beginning of the last days. 
He's saying this thing that you're seeing is the start of the last days. It's the start of the things that, that God has for you. The, the, the prophecies, the visions, and the dreams are the beginning of what is to come. And they would have already begun to experience some of these things because when Jesus died, the, the, the day was turned to night. It went dark. Already the Jews are starting to see this is the prophecy that was foretold so long ago. This is what we've read about since we were kids. This is what we've heard all that time. And now this man that we've been told is the Messiah has died and the sky has gone black. And now he's rose again and he was here for a few days and he ascended on high. And now all of these signs and wonders are pouring out of this room. Surely they have to be drunk. No, this is the thing we've been talking about for so long. This is, the, this is the man who, who, is, who said he was God and who is God. But the interesting thing is that he says in this that some will dream dreams. He's calling the gifts of God. Some will prophesy, the men and women alike. And I want to challenge us this morning that when God speaks to us, we have to steward what he is saying. We have to take that in and we have to steward that thing. When we talk about stewardship, 99% of the time we, we talk about finances. I need to look after my finances. But God is saying to us in this time, I'm giving you words, visions, dreams. I'm speaking to you. You can hear the things that I'm saying, but you must steward it. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I want to challenge you this morning that if you, if you dream, do not discount those dreams. Even if you have nobody to help you interpret them, God hasn't shown you an interpretation, you had a weird dream about something, write it down and at time when you're praying, ask God, what is this? Why? Because I want us to steward the things God's giving us. I want us to take hold of his voice and say, God, I have no idea what this means, but I want to know more. That's stewarding what he's saying and who he is. Look in the scriptures, read more about it, take the time. We're going to make that a little easier in March. March. I'll give more dates and things where it's only just sort of been locked in. I'm going to get Adam to come and do a training course with us to spend some time unpacking dreams and visions and what that looks like. If the verse, if the Bible talks about it, that dreams and visions will take place in the last days and we're in the last days, we have to understand that this is serious what God's saying and to unpack the things that he's highlighting to us. This verse, what happens at Pentecost, for me, is one of the primary verses that debunks the fact that dreams and visions are finished for our time, that prophecy is finished for our time. Because right here he says we're in these last days. The Spirit's fallen. Dreams and visions will take place. Prophecy will take place. That's for now. But as a people, we have to learn how to steward it. We have to learn how to step into. So Adam will be coming. He's going to come two or three more times um, in the year. We're hoping to have him in three times. He's at least coming for two at the moment to help us unpack. It's not because he, he just because he carries an amazing gift. He wants to help us build. We've been speaking a lot about how to, even myself and Jess, how do we continue to steward dreams, steward visions, steward prophecy of God when someone brings a word forward? How do we continue to steward those things and how do we look at them? We must learn how to do that. The final thing Peter says in this, he says, but everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And there's an interesting thing in this that the Jewish people understood, and I think Peter explains it so well in this as, I, as I'm going to go on to later. But he's not saying 
He's not saying that it's a future salvation, that she will go to heaven, but rather it's a present reality that all those who call upon the name of the one who called himself Messiah, the one who was the Son of God, all of those will go to heaven, but not just that, will have a present reality, a life-changing reality right now in their midst. To call upon the name of the Lord and to be saved is our salvation, is a present reality and a future hope. We can't forget that it's a future hope, but we must remember that it's a present reality now. You being saved, you entering into Jesus changes your life now. It's not, I can't wait to get to heaven. I can't wait to have all those things. I can't wait to be with God. It changes us right now. And if it doesn't, you need to be praying and asking God, what's going on with my life? Why am I not changed? Why am I not different? God, you said that your power would come in me and, and at the end I'm, I'm, I'm going to offer an opportunity for us to lay hands and, and, and to baptize people in what Peter expresses in, in the Holy Spirit. But the, the thing is, is that our lives must look different. We must see a difference in ourselves. We must have changed from when we were yesterday and then we get saved into who we are today. Peter's saying all of you will be saved, but there's a present reality that we have to understand. So the, the spirit falls, some weird stuff happens, tongues start happening, there's, there's fire, there's wind, all this weird stuff happens. The people say, I think these guys are drunk. Peter explains they're not drunk. This is the prophecy that was foretold from a long time ago that Jesus was who he says he was. He is who he says he is. Acts 2, 22 verse 36, it, he, he goes on to preach to the people and it says this. Peter continued, people of Israel... Listen to the facts. Jesus the Victorious was a man on a divine mission whose authority was clearly proven. For you know how God performed many miracles, signs and wonders through him. You cannot deny it. The man's destiny was prearranged for God knew that Jesus would be handed over to you to be crucified and that you would execute him on a cross by the hands of lawless men. Yet it was all part of his predetermined plan. God destroyed the cords of death and raised him up because it was possible for death, it was, sorry, impossible for death's power to hold him prisoner. This is the very thing David prophesied about him. He quotes Psalm 16, 8, verse 11. I continually see the Lord in front of me. He is at my right hand and I'm never shaken. No wonder my heart is glad and my glory live, because you will not leave my soul among the dead, nor will you allow your sacred one to experience decay. For you have revealed to me the pathways to life, and seeing your faith fills me with euphoria. Seeing your face fills me with euphoria. My fellow Jews, I can tell you there is no doubt that our noted patriarch has both died and been buried in his tomb, which remains to this day. So you can see that he was not referring to himself with those words. He's saying David wasn't the one he was speaking of. He was, he was prophesying about Jesus. Verse 30, but as a prophet, he knew God's faithful promise made with God's unbreakable oath that one of his descendants would take his throne. So when peering into the future, David prophesied of the Messiah's, Messiah's resurrection and God revealed to him that the Messiah would not be abandoned to the realm of death, nor would his body, nor would his body experience the decay. Can you see it? God has resurrected Jesus and we all have seen him. Then God exalted to him his right hand 
upon the throne of the highest honor, and the Father gave him the authority to send the promised Holy Spirit, which is being poured out upon us today. That is what you're seeing and hearing. David wasn't the one who ascended into heaven, but the one who prophesied. The Lord Jehovah said to my Lord, I honor you by enthroning you beside me until I make your enemies a footstool beneath your feet. Now every, everyone in Israel can know for certain that Jesus, whom you cruci- crucified, is the one God has made both Lord and Messiah. Peter is pointing to Jesus. Peter is saying everything you see here today, everything that's happened, all of the atrocities that's happened in this city come to this and the Spirit comes down and it all means this. Jesus is the Messiah and he's the one he told you who he was. Pentecost in place of what we see it, especially as as whatever you, you want to call yourself and we now have a denomination based on this, as Pentecostals, that they, they expressed the most important thing was that the Spirit came and that there were signs and wonders. The important thing was that Jesus was revealed as the King and Messiah and the true King on the throne. That's what Pentecost did beyond everything else. It said Jesus is King. Everything that was prophesied, I've told you about, was exactly who he said he was. You guys killed the wrong man, but in doing that, you did something special powerful in allowing us to come into him and be be enthroned with him at the right hand of the father that's what peter's saying everything points to jesus everything points to jesus that he is who he says he is that all the prophecy was there everything is because of what he is and who he, and, and who he is Don't get me wrong, for us, it's phenomenal that the the Spirit comes, that we get to be filled inside and and poured out on, that we get to step into the power of God and be in that. But everything that took place was because of who Jesus said he was. He wasn't lying. And it's incredible that, that Peter doesn't take the time to even reiterate what was going on. He doesn't take the time to explain the tongues. He doesn't take the time to explain the move of of the wind coming onto the place. He doesn't take the time to explain the joining of Jew and Gentile. He doesn't take the time to do any of that. He just says, Jesus. Look to Jesus and all of this will make sense. All of this will come into alignment for what I've been saying to you. See, often we get caught up with the small details and we want to explain everything and we want it all to fit in a row, A through to Z. It all makes sense. But we often miss the fact that it's not ever going to make sense to us. When God starts to move, I don't want to have to stand at the front and ex- bring every person forward and explain in the way that the Holy Spirit is, is pulling things apart. I just want to say, look who Jesus said he was. Look who he is. The signs and wonders, they're amazing, they're great. We want to see them. They're the power of God. They bring the people in. But when the people come in, we say, this is who we're worshipping, Jesus Jesus is the one that we are standing here before. I love that Edie shared that verse. I shared that vision that she had because I was thinking this through as he explains from Psalms with David. David says that all the time I can see Jesus in front of me. Where does that put David? Behind Jesus. Nestled in like a football scrum. I'm not, 
I'm not letting go because if I let go, I'm going to get slammed. I'm staying behind you every step of the way. On my right hand, on my, on my, my hand of power, on, on my business shaking hand, on everything that I do, my life hand, right hand side, I'm going to stay behind you because I don't want to be anywhere else. And I love how David expresses the fact that he says, and seeing your face fills me with euphoria. Jesus, seeing your face fills me with euphoria. Where was David? Behind him. Yet he sees his face. See, we've, in, in the church, we've taken so much time to say, well, yeah, but Jesus, he, he loves us and, and, and we're to sit on his lap and we're to hug him and there's an embrace. Yes, there is. Absolutely. But there's also a getting in behind as well. There's both. Jesus loves us and we get to see his face and it fills us with euphoria and he hugs us and he holds us and then he says, all right, son, get in behind me. We've got stuff to do. You see, there's both. David's explaining that there's both. There's an end or. I saw him in front of me at my right hand. But then I saw his face and it filled me with euphoria. See, there's times like this morning where uh, we get to see God, we get to feel that presence. I just saw a, a, a Facebook message to the worship group pop up and it, I think it was from Sean that said, I've not felt that in a long time. The presence of God, tangible presence of God. That's kind of what it said, eh? That's beautiful. That's the face of Jesus. I'm filled with euphoria. But then there's a time where we get to get in behind him and soldier on into the work, soldier on into what God has for us, move into the things he's doing for us, move into the things he's doing for this nation and the people. That's why I love that song, God, I just want you, nothing else. Just saw a, um, a, 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 I don't remember what it was, a tweet or an Instagram that of a guy she follows from um, the Awakening Time. And he said, you know, often we get so focused on the, on the gift of God and what God's pouring out that we actually miss the person who gives it. That we actually shift our focus onto the things of God and we miss the fact. That's why that song was written. The guy was writing a song and he was saying, God, I, I'm not here for blessing. I haven't come to get something from you. I've come to give something to you. As a people, that's the position we take. I haven't come, God, to get something from you. I've come to give something to you. I've come because you're worthy and I want to give you all of who I am. I love a blessing. But if you don't give it to me, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll worship you again. And I'll worship you again. And I'll worship you again. I just want you. Nothing else matters. I can't see now. Verse 34, Lord said to my Lord, the Lord Jehovah said to my Lord. This is interesting that he says this. Again, Peter just quoting scripture the whole time, quoting back to, to things that he knew, the things that Jesus has said. It's all starting to make sense as he's preaching. And he, he takes this from, from Psalms as well. And he says, Lord said to my Lord, I honor you by enthroning you beside me. The Lord Jehovah 
that word, the first Lord, is the word, is the word Jehovah, H, uh, H3068. And it obviously means Jesus. And the second word means controller, ruler, majesty, and earthly sense. In the picture of this word, Jesus has gone, Jehovah, enthroned on high, bringing us with him, allowing us authority right here on earth through who he is. When he took the keys back, he took back which was originally given to us in the garden. And he says, right, I'll hold these and I'll allow you to rule and reign through who I am. You seated in me in the safety that this won't happen again because I've got the keys, but you are now in me and I in you as he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And you will rule and reign on the place that you were given through me, Jesus and what I've allowed you. You know, when I'm praying for people, the thing that I always pray is, Jesus, through the authority that you gave us on the cross, that you took back on the cross, that's the authority by which I pray with. That I command the thing to be made whole because of the authority that you allowed me into, that you have, but that I'm allowed through you. See, because Jesus is king. Jesus is the healer. He's the one who heals. He's the one who takes, but he takes away the pain. But he allows us to step into that because he brought us into him. That's the, that's the powerful thing. That's the thing that we get to see. It's taken from Psalm 110. This is again revealing that Pentecost is the signpost of Easter. Pentecost is the proof that what happened on our known as Easter was real and true. It's the reality that we hold on to to say that everything we believed in Jesus is true. Pentecost points back to the cross and then points to who Jesus is now, ruler and reigner, king above all. Pentecost allows us to see the one we worship is exactly the one who was prophesied about, is exactly the one who he said he was. Acts 2, 37. When they heard this, they were crushed and they realized what they had done to Jesus. Deeply moved, they said to Peter and the other apostles, what do we need to do, brothers? Peter replied, repent and return to God and each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, to have your sins removed. Then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit for God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your families and for those yet to be born and for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter, Peter preached to them and warned them with these words, be rescued from the wayward and perverse culture of this world. For those who believed the word that day numbered 3,000. They were all baptized and added to the church. It was 3,000 that came. But the interesting thing is that they were crushed when they realized what they had done. Peter, we, we didn't know. We didn't know what we were doing, but he told you. But we didn't know. We didn't listen. Is there anything we can do? Isn't that incredible? I love that, I love that Jesus 
even in his death, even in the way that he, he went to the cross, when he's hanging on the cross and the, the robber says, can I be with you? Don't forget me. That Jesus had a plan even for those who were scoffing at him, even for those that were hurting. Father, forgive these. They, they, they don't know what they're doing. And then right here in this verse, right here at Pentecost, they see we didn't know what we were doing. Jesus had already said that. Father, forgive them. He'd already forgiven them before they got to the place of realization. We stuffed this up. We should never have crucified this man. He was who he said he was. They were already forgiven. So when they say to Peter, what do we do? Just repent. Change your view. Change your focus from what you're looking at to who he is, to who I said he is, to who Jesus said he was. This is the first altar call we see post-Jesus that Peter makes. And he sees 3,000 people come. Do you know what he was preaching? Jesus. He solidified Jesus. He showed them who Jesus was. He didn't point and say, this is what you're going to get if you come with us. He said, this is who my King and Savior is. And they realized straight away, we, we had this wrong. The whole time we had this wrong. He pointed to Jesus, back to Jesus, back to Jesus. And they said, we, we want to change. How do we fix it? Then he says, don't get caught up by the perverse culture of, the, of, of this world. It's the first time we see people come after Jesus is, is, is risen up into heaven and give themselves. Because they realized this man that we saw was who he said he was. Tom Wright writes in a book, I forget what the book's called, but it's, it's to do with the, uh, the whole encapsulation of Acts. And he says this, This is the first sign of the church's developing understanding of the cross, that understanding does not begin as an abstract theory about sin or judgment. It begins as the very concrete and specific awareness that this corrupt generation is heading for disaster. But Jesus stands in the way and can stop them from falling off the cliff. The message is made clear. Be rescued. In other words, let God rescue you. Let Jesus rescue you from the ruin that will come upon the city and the nation, not as a specific punishment for rejecting Jesus, but as a necessary consequence of that entire way of life of which rejecting Jesus was a key telltale sign. Everything you're going to do points toward the fact that you don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. All you have to do is believe who he is and who he says he is. And that changes our entire life. So I was saying this morning, you know, our, our life has to look different because it changes the way we live. When we actually know who Jesus is and we believe and trust who he says he is, we put our faith and our hope in that and it changes the way we live. Because we never ever stop focusing on who Jesus is and who he says he is and then we realize who we are because he said who we are. That the way we, we live in an, in an awful place and not the place that God has for us is we don't believe who Jesus says he is. Jess challenges me on this all the time. You tell everybody to believe what they read in the scriptures and who he says he is. Yes, then why aren't you doing that? Great point. I'll readjust. <laughs> 
Because we forget as we go along the way. We forget that we, we actually know who Jesus is and who he said he is. We forget to put our hope in that thing. We forget to put our hope in the fullness of God and the wholeness of Christ. And we get lost along the way. But it's the beginning and the telltale sign of living a life of this perverse generation. Like Peter's saying, don't live in that culture. I promise you, it's not going to bring you into anything. I have a culture for you that was promised, that Jesus spoke about the whole way along. And I promise you, that's the culture that will bring life to you. It's not about sin or don't sin. It's not about be a good boy or a bad boy or a good girl or a bad girl. It's about the, the perverse culture of this generation is going to ruin your life. And Jesus told you who he was and he created a path for you to walk. Do you believe and do you trust him? Because if you do, and you know who he is and who he says he is, you will operate in the things that I have for you. The power of God has not been given to wow people and to build your ministry. It has not been given for us to feel like God loves us and wants to be with us, even though he does. It was given in order that more people would see and believe that he is the true king and the one that was prophesied of so long ago. The power of God has not been given to wow people and to build your ministry. It has not been given for us to feel like God loves us and wants to be with us, even though he does. It was given in order that more people would see and believe that he is the true king and the one that was prophesied of so long ago. Quote, Ben. I wrote that, God, God gave that to me and I, and I wrote it down and I realized Flip, that fits in my sermon. And then I read it again and I thought, Flip, that's for me. That I'm, I'm so hungry to see the power of God. I'm so hungry to see the kingdom come. I'm so hungry to see stuff happen, but it's not for me. It's for all of us to express who he is out there. That's what it's for. See, we, we get in a position where, and a lot of churches and a lot of people are talking about revival, 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 but the revival is not to fill this place. The revival is not to make me feel good about my ministry. The revival is not so that I can get more speaking engagements to say, well, I led this big thing. The revival is to bring more people who aren't with God back into what he had for them in the beginning in the garden. That's why revival is important. To bring back that which is dead. To bring alive that which has been long dead. To revive something. Bring it back to life. Why? So that it can become thriving and that can increase and increase and increase so that more people come back into communion with the Father. So that more people are made whole. So that more people can see healing is a sign and a wonder why to point to Jesus. Glory dust, clouds, Manna in Bibles. Bibles leaking oil. Why? What's the point? People say, well, what does that do? It brings the people in so that the people that are there can point to Jesus. So that when people go out, they can say, I know that he's real. Why? Because I know that I know. I saw this thing and I can't ever get it out of my mind. He is real. One of the biggest ones for, for me was Brad and I were in Sri Lanka and Brad had a prophetic word about a little girl or somebody who was deaf. He didn't know it was a little girl. Somebody who was deaf. And it took ages for this thing to happen. And then one of the ladies said, oh, there's one of the orphan girls who just came in actually was born without an eardrum. 
and she's deaf. So Brad said, okay, come, we're going to pray. And I, I watched Brad stand there for hours and pray for this little girl. I wasn't quite hours. It was like an hour, hour worth, singular. And she was given an eardrum, healed, holy. You should have seen this little girl's face. Her whole life was changed. I remember just crying, being like, that's Jesus. Is it important that that little girl can hear? Yes. Is that the most important thing? No. She will never, ever forget Yahweh, Jesus. Why? Because she was given something she should never have had. She was given something that could have never, ever been done by anybody else but Jesus. The people in that room were astounded. The, the lady who came forward, it, it started popping things all over because the faith started to change. Maybe this man is who these two white people say, four white people say, because Matt and Jess were there as well, who, who these people say that he is. Maybe all these things that, that were spoken about in the, in, in the scriptures so long ago, maybe all these things are real. Maybe he is who he says he is. And all of a sudden, faith starts to be put in who? Jesus. So everything that gets done, gets done to point back to him. It's all about him. It's always been about him, and it will always be about him. But everything that happens at Pentecost, everything that's moving through, is because Jesus will be known. Jesus will be, be, be known as the one true king, as the hero in all of this. It's paramount for us to understand that the power of the Holy Spirit is to equip us and build us to complete the work of showing who he is to the people. That's why I'm excited to see God move. That's why I'm excited for, for, for all of us to be equipped and strengthened. That the, the, When a prophecy comes forward, I get excited. Why? Because it's building us up. It's strengthening us. When someone comes with a dream, it's building us up. It's strengthening us. Why? To go and show the people that this man who lived so long ago, who so many people read about, he's real. He is who he says he is. He's a powerful one true king. There's not one true religion or, or, or whatever it is that's being pushed at the moment. There is one king. And like David, I want to be nestled in behind him. Always knowing that he's there. Always seeing that he's in front of me at my right hand. And that when he turns and he shows me his face, I'm filled with euphoria. God, nothing else matters. I just want you. When I first heard that song, I, I thought to myself, this is a great song. And churches all around the world will sing this song. But then they'll leave and it'll mean nothing. And I try not to be cynical, but that's the first thing that pops into my head. How in the world can we get people to understand that this song is not about just singing it and getting it in key and in tune and making it sound nice, but this song is a declaration for our life to say, God, nothing else matters but making you known. Nothing else. That verse that, that Dave read out, should have all known because I preached on it a few weeks ago, but that says that Paul is saying, the most important thing for me to do is to finish what God asked me to finish, is to design the things he's asked me to design, is to be in the places he's asked me to be, to listen and to hear and to step out and act on who he says he is because I trust him and I believe in him and I want him to be made known. 
We have to come back all the time to the point, Jesus, do I believe in who you are? Yes. Do I believe in the things that you said? Yes. All right. What did you say? These are the things I said. Okay, if I believe in them, now I'm going to go and act on them. You will do greater works than I. That is insane to think about. But I'm just, I just work in a clothing store or I'm just this or I'm just that, but you'll do greater works than I. Do we truly believe what Jesus says? Can we, can we read this, this sermon, if you like, from, from Peter and go, wow, I would have been one of the ones that put my hand up. What have I got to do? I got it wrong. What have I got to do? Repent and believe. Repent of all that you are and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. How do I do that? Well, I'm going to go through the scriptures and I'm going to find what he says. And then I'm going to read those things again and again and again and again. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to act on them because he said that I should. I've preached before, sometimes when we read the scriptures, we put ourselves in the seats of the the hero. But sometimes I think we're the guy at the back like, yep, I was one of the ones who crucified him. I didn't know. I was silly then. But now you've explained it to me and I see it so clearly, clearly, Peter. What do I do? That's why often so many times I come back and I go, God, I, I I, I didn't see it that way. What do I do? Repent, son. And come back in the way I explained it to you. See, this verse where this thing that we see often, we we have to do this daily, pick up your cross daily. Why? Because sometimes we put it down because we miss what's actually happening. And God says, don't whinge and whine and worry about it. Repent, change your view and come back. Let's go. Get back in behind me. Sometimes we have to lay that down and say, God, I've been wrong. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell the guy next year. But my goodness, you should tell God. Except I've done it wrong. What do I do? Repent. Come back with me. Get back in behind me. Watch me smile upon your face. Be filled with the euphoria of my love for you. Know that I love you. But get back in behind me. So we're going to go back into worship. Because I want us an opportunity to, to respond to this. Because that worship is... is so incredible and so so thick and anointed. But I want us to I, I want us to come back with that thought. God, I, I know who you are, Jesus. I've read about you. I've heard about you. I've heard your voice. I trust you. I've heard so much of who you are. But sometimes I don't act on that. Sometimes I don't. And this is not a thing about you've been a bad boy, but it's about realigning ourselves, realigning ourselves with God, saying, I want to get in behind you. I want to move where you're telling me to move. If you haven't... Firstly, I'm going to stand at the front, and if you... if if you have no idea who Jesus is, if you've never given your life to him, if you've never actually stood up and said, I don't want to live my life like this anymore. I want to live 
with who Jesus is. I want to I I know him more. I want to get on that journey to find out how I get in behind him. I want to I know that, that, that man who, who came and, and who said he is God and has been proven in the scriptures as being God, who Peter is explaining about. If you've never done that, when we go back into worship, come, come, and, come and talk with me. I'm going to stand at the front here and I want to pray with you. And the other thing is, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you've never never had someone explain to you that there's a there's a power that can move through you, that we see, which I spoke about last week, where the, the Spirit comes and it rests on us. It's the power of God resting on us. If you've never had that, why don't you also come and talk to me? I want to pray for you. I want to ask God to fill you. I want to ask God to move through you and to give you the gifts that Peter talks about here, that you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. For God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your families, for those yet to be born, and for everyone whom the Lord of God calls himself. But you have to take hold of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you've never done that, come. Just come to the front. I want to pray for you. But if not, let's just worship. Let's just worship him. Let's just give him all of who we are. From that position of God, I know who you are. I trust you and I believe in you. So why don't you stand? I'm just going to pray and then we can go back into worship.